Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Dear Doc Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Christopher Huffpower, coming to you from my home studio here in Alvin, Texas. Now, today's guest I've been trying to get on for quite some time because they actually helped me in my practice whenever I first started out. They also helped my wife in her veterinary practice, and that is Mr. Fred King from Silken Consulting. Fred, how the heck are you? It's been a while since we've seen each other face to face. I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. You look great. Like, <laughs> well, I, I, I'm probably about 45 pounds heavier than I than I should be to look great, but I'll take it. So yeah, well, <laughs> I'm about 20, so we're close. <laughs> you guys are you guys are out in um, you guys are out in Portland, right? Yeah, we're actually in Tigard at the moment, which is real close to uh, real close to Portland. So talk to me a little a bit about area. the um, the history of Silken and, um, yep. and also, you know, what you guys teach. Okay. Um, well, the history is we actually started back in the uh, uh, 1983. Uh, so it's been, you know, 30, 38 years doing business. And we've done probably close to 5,000 practices during that time period. Um, uh, you know, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we do dentists, we also do veterinarians, and we do optometrists. Those are the three. And so we're in the healthcare uh, area, and uh, we've been doing well, and uh, even during the COVID time. <laughs> well, so well, I, we've I progressed. People, I imagine people needed your help then more than uh, more than pretty much ever previously because it was it was. Everyone always throws around game changer or unprecedented, but this truly was an unprecedented oh, time. Yeah, there's, there's no question about it. We've been through four recessions, so I was get, actually getting ready for a recession um, I was in too. 2019. So I was actually, uh, so we started prepping for a recession in about 2017, 18 so, and getting uh, going. I'm curious. So the reason, what tipped me off was in late 2019, the Federal Reserve released a white paper that discussed the effect of negative interest rates on the economy. And so that kind of freaked me out. So I, I started looking at what interest rates were doing, unemployment was doing, what the stock market was doing. And only one time in history had they looked similar, and that was in 1930. And that scared the bejesus wow. out. It's actually whenever <laughs> I began to look at um, exiting my practice, uh, which, thank you, you guys helped me to build. So um, that, that, that ended up pretty well. So talk to me a little bit, speaking of which, yeah. about the types of things that you guys teach, dentists and veterinarians and optometrists, and, and how you help them to run better practices and become better business people. Right. Well, um, over the last five years specifically, we've been codifying uh, a lot of our material due to the fact that we have uh, – Many of our consultants who have been with me for 25, 30 years, they've been transitioning out over the last few years. And, and a lot of them are still staying for another four or five years. And we brought in a whole new crop, 
Now, the reason I bring that up, because transitioning uh, for anybody, it can be quite the, uh, um, it can go into turmoil if you don't do it correctly. And you don't get the value you could get out of your business. If you, if you do it correctly, then as you have done well in regards to it, then, you know, life can be good for you. So as we started looking over the transitioning, because uh, both of my other partners had pretty well transitioned out. I was the Lone Ranger for the last almost 10 years. Okay. So we decided to codify it, and I thought it would be a really easy thing to do. So in regards to it, we ended up in the codification of coming up with the fact that there's six very specific systems in every practice. And if the, if the owner of the system understands them really well, then they're going to do better and they're going to do well. So the, the simplicity of that codification is immaterial, what some people would call best practices over the years, uh, of taking that material uh, for the last 35 years and then codifying it into very specific systems that one can learn in a very focused way. Uh, and so you have the owner system, which is a very important system. You have um, uh, executive system. You've got a personnel system. You've got a finance system. You've got a marketing system, and you got a PR system. So if each one of those particular systems are in play and doing well, and we have, like I said, 5,000 case uh, studies in this, then the person will do well. So we even got more focused on putting together the protocols, the checklists, and everything else that goes with that. So when you ask me that question, that kind of brings up a lot because, right. you know, we've gone through this tr- this uh, process for the last five years. Well, you know, for some of the things that I remember, and um, I, I know some of this information is proprietary, um, but I think I can talk a little bit about what I learned from you. Sure, so, sure. Anything you want to talk about, I'm easy. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that I learned is that um, all, all dentists are in love with keeping statistics. They, they, they run these KPI, they make these lists, and there's probably about five KPI that are super, super important to any practice. Right. But when you have those numbers, a lot of people go, oh, well, this went up, oh, well, this went down. And they yeah. kind of haphazardly address those things. And one of the yes. things you guys taught me was that there's a very, to use your word, very codified method for yes. addressing any specific condition that your business might be in. And so That's let's right. look at it and we, we look at the behavior of these conditions over a graph, right? And so yep. we look at the slope of the line and based upon what the slope of the line is doing, it tells us the condition that that specific yep. KPI is in. And each yeah. condition, let's say emergency or, or danger or normal or, you know, affluence. Um, if you're in one of those conditions, there's a very specific way, scientifically studied, yeah. that you should react and right. what you should do. <laughs> and so let's say we've got a, a line slope and it's flat. Well, most people will say, well, Greg, there was no change. But that is actually a condition of emergency. Because That's right. All businesses naturally should be growing over time. And if you're not growing, then you're not keeping up with the base inflation of your cost of goods and services. So if you have a flat line, you're actually in a state of emergency. So there's a very specific way that you handle that. And and what is that way, Fred? So if if my my chart says that my new patient numbers are in emergency, 
what do I do? Right. Good. Wow. You are a great student and uh, you got it, man. I'm, I'm so happy. I, I am. I'm so happy that you can even express it that way because that's one of the key, uh, key attributes of being able to take something and then apply it. So let's say, let's take emergency, which is flat. So you've got a KPI that's, you know, it's flatter than a pancake, whatever it may be. So as, as like you said, most people, they'll go, oh, okay, well, I'm doing okay. Oh, no, man, you're, if you don't do something, you're in trouble. And you can do it with either weekly, monthly, or a trend line, meaning if it's oh, oh, over time, it's going like this, which you, we see all the time. So one of the first things you do, depending on if it's an individual you're talking about, or if it's a organization. Mm -hmm. So if it's organization, you do this immediately. And we had our clientele do this during the COVID time. I didn't care who they were because everybody was starting to flatten out hard. Right. Very first step, promote. You make yourself known. You get it out. You you and we did that too. That's why we did so well during COVID. First thing I did like six videos you know, within a short which I never do them. Just get the data out. We tell our clients, talk to your uh, patients, talk to your clientele, let them know you're there, you know, promote that you're, you know, it, even if you're shut down, we had people who shut down, we go, good, let them know you're shut down, send a video, send emails, promote like, like, you know, you just go for that, you know, you know so that was the very first step. My, my promotion, what I did is I got onto the town Facebook page, I told them that we were shut down except for emergencies. Yeah. Um, I gave them my personal cell phone number, which I actually wow. didn't regret, which is crazy because I thought I was going to. And then I gave them weekly updates on what was coming out of the state because I was actually working closely with, uh, with the board and with the TDA on figuring out what the heck we were going to do to address the problem. And so I was giving them updates every week. And so I was in front of them every single week. So that, that's, uh -huh. that's kind of what I did for promotion. I, I thought and, you'd be kind of proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am so proud because it was, uh, I found a lot of the docs would, were, were number one, they get confused. Now, the ones that have been with us before, boy, they jumped on it. All I had to do was say, hey, don't forget, this is where we're at. And and they were, you know, they were moving it. Um, so, you know, a, as you're looking and promoting and producing in whatever area you are, you got to take a look at what that means. And there's um, like you just said, you know, you let people know you gave them your cell number and, and you think it's going to you're going to get inundated, but you don't necessarily, you know, some people might call but good. You want that. You want the interaction. You want people to know you care about them and, and that you're there for them. So that's very key. And, and that's what we did with our, our clients. You know, it, within that context, there's a, a portion of it where you've got to stiffen up your own discipline. Uh, it's it, it's a last step, but it's actually it, within the context of the entirety of it, which means that you can't go back on your heels. That means if if all of a sudden you're you're getting distracted, you got to get back to focus. You know, uh, if you've got a front office, yeah, you know, a desk person who's has to go home and work from home. If if you can get them to work from home, get them to work from home. 
outflowing, constantly letting people know what's happening. So you just hit the number one thing that I think that more people would have done. And a lot of people did. I, I know all our clients were, uh, but a lot of people didn't. A lot of, uh, you know, uh, doctors didn't do that. And, and, and they started doing this big time. Uh, and I know people got closed, you know, different states, they have different things, but you can't go back. So it got to change after that. You know, what are you going to do next? You know, you got to change your own operating uh, condition, you know, your operations. What is it that you're going to do? Uh, what did you do? Uh, I'm, I'm curious now for, you know, you're just I such had, a good um, student there. I had one person, um, one person come in and work the front desk and I had them begin calling yep. all of our recalls who were supposed to be coming in during that period and telling them that we were putting them on a special recall list that as soon as we were allowed to reopen and see patients that would be calling them to schedule. Um, we told them when we thought it was gonna be over and when we thought we were going to be able to, um, to see patients, which I, I actually missed the mark widely on that. Even with my inside information, I, I was totally wrong. Yeah, I do have to say, economizing was really easy. <laughs> because, uh <-huh. laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the steps is economizing. One step, one, one step everyone remembered to do this time because they, it kind of right. happened for you, right? That's right. Yeah, it was forced in pretty pretty hard, but that's great. That's exactly you know as, that well done. As part of my as part of my economizing, I did something that a lot of businesses didn't do. I, I, I behaved, I guess, in in a lot of people's minds, irrationally. I did not take the idle loans. I did not take the PPPs because my thinking were was that um, every time the government tells you they're going to give you something for free, there's a huge, huge line of strings attached to that. And uh -huh. it turns out, as as it happens, I was right. You know, a lot of people are suffering that did take these PPP loans. Um, so I'm I'm happy about that. But my, my thinking yeah. was is that I'd be putting my business in a, in a poor situation because I just knew we were going to be taxed on that as income or something so that oh, I, yeah. I just kind of avoided that whole situation. Um, so, so what's our next step? If I remember correctly, there are four steps in emergency. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay, so and the fifth step, it, your actual fifth step is to, to discipline. Right. And then the uh, first step, do you have them up there? Oh no, I'm not. I'm not putting. I'm not putting them up yet. Um, oh, just talking to you about that. So our first. Step oh, okay. Was, so yeah, our first and step then you come. Yeah, the first step is you produce and you promote. Then you change, and then you economize. Okay. And then you change your operating basis. Right, which everyone kind of did because everyone's operating basis changed because we we're all shut down. Right. Our fourth step. And then you put. And then you put in the order you're going to need to put in. You know any of the policies or anything you're going to need to put in place so you can hold everything so then you can start pushing it upward and you got to discipline yourself i mean that's one of the key key points of really uh display i can't tell you how important that is and, and what you just talked about in regards to what you did that's a discipline right. you know that's a discipline of, of of looking at something and going here are the protocols and that's one of the big things we have that I, I really uh, believe people have to have checklists, protocols, step-by-step -step actions Absolutely. that uh, when the pressure comes, you know, you, you've got your, your um, stable datums, you know, your, your points of reference that you can right. grab a hold of and, and use. And, you know, 
One of the one of the um, the things that when people come to my office, um, they all marvel at. And I've actually shared some of my own um, my own creations with my my group. Is that I've always got every single procedure mapped out from what you do when you enter the room all the way to right. what you do whenever you're cleaning up the room, and that is because. Right. And I, I paraphrase Silken in this a lot. Um, I, I was taught by Silken that you should write up your own job such yeah. that a sixth grader should be able to come <laughs> in and pick up what you wrote and do yep. your job the next day if you got hit by a bus. That's right. So well done. <laughs> that, that's kind of the, the way that I write my SOPs in my office. And um, the way that I, I, I wrote my... My, my job descriptions for my team as well. I had them write the job descriptions and people are always like, how do you get them to do that? I was like, just tell them to do it. It's part of their job. Write the job description. <laughs> page, page number That's one right. in the job description. You must write up your job description. Okay, cool. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get the rest of this stuff. So, um, right. That, that was huge for me uh, in my practice because it allowed me to really maintain quality control over time. And it made my team accountable to something that was measurable, yes. right. which I think was a huge thing to learn from you guys. Now, one of the things I'm going to ask you to do is to share with us what I like to call Silkenese. So one of Silken's philosophies is that language sometimes gets sloppy. And right. so when we use a word, many times it has emotional connotations attached to it that interfere with logic. and a big thing in Silicon is you follow logic, you don't follow emotion. That's the reason you graph things. That's the reason that you keep KPIs is to keep yourself from making emotional decisions about your business. Right. So it's also very in keeping. I don't know if you've read it, but the e, the e myth by Gerber. Um, whenever I read that book, I was every every chapter I'm looking through. I'm like, this is exactly what Silicon teaches. So. Uh -huh. You guys have what I like to call Silkenese. Let's talk a little bit about some of the vocabulary that surrounds your training. Um, sure. So if I was, um, let's say, I'm gonna take one that people are gonna totally misunderstand. Let's say I told you, I ran into some problems with my team because I was being reasonable. Right. Let's talk about what that means. So okay. if I'm being reasonable, yeah. a normal person, normal English would think, okay, well, well, reasonable is reasonable. You're just, you know, you're being fair, right? right? Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about being reasonable as a practice owner. Yeah, it, it's allowing um, ideas that seem to be logical, but they have no basic premise to them. Uh, as an example, people will fill in. If they don't have data, they'll just sort of fill it in and make it okay, make it right. Uh, matter of fact, you know, a person can can say, "Well, you know, our patients aren't coming in because," and they'll come up with some some BS kind of reason. You know, it's reasonable. Oh yeah, there's a a strike in this city, or people don't really want to come during the summertime, or you know, things like that. That's reasonable, you know, because it, it agrees with common uh, uh, ideas, I guess you'd call it. it. It's when an excess confirmation bias. Speaking as a scientist, yes, it's a confirmation yes. bias. You know, that's right. I, patients aren't coming, um, so I think they're not coming 
because it's X holiday or it's right. summer or it's raining. And yeah. the funny thing is, is that when you fall into that trap, you actually create that reality. That's you, right. You emotionally <laughs> that problem on that same level. And so right. everyone you speak to, you bring them down to that emotional level and you push out that idea into the universe. You screw yourself. Oh yeah, those absolutely. Without datum. And, and so- no, yeah. Our yeah. best clients are thinking, our best clients think exactly what you're saying there. And I hear it from their, uh, the, you know, the top elite, they get it. It's it's like, if, if it doesn't come up with, if you ask a question, you gotta be able to, if you come up with a reason, and you've come up to that, you got to be able to have it that gives you a result that you can use to change the problem. If the problem is, is low patience and somebody says, well, it's because it's too hot outside, what are you going to do? Go out and change the temperature? No, you can't change the temperature. It's, you know, it's, it's hot out there. Good. So why aren't they coming in? What is the real reason they're not coming in? And if you do it right, you, and if you get everybody on board, it evaporates. You'll you'll figure it out. So that's spot on. That's exactly correct. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and one of the things I find is that sometimes there are more than one reason, or there is more than one reason why something is occurring. However, if you discipline yourself to only act upon those things which can yep. be acted upon, you can change the pro you can change the outcome of that problem anyway. Because instead of looking for reasons for the problem to continue existing, which is what you're really doing if you just say, oh, it's because it's hot outside. You're looking for ways that are gonna fix the problem because you're looking for things you can address. Right, That's, you, you've got it because otherwise you're, what we call, you're dispersed. You're, you're, your mind is everywhere. You know, you've got, it's like the person who comes home at night and they've got 20 things on their mind. And then the next morning, they've still got those 20 things and they don't have solutions for 20 of them. And you, you get this, and so funny because in learning, like I said, I call it Silkenese, in learning some Silkenese, I learned to identify problems that I had had previously that I didn't really understand so like okay you are dispersed so when you're dispersed you can't think correctly about that's anything. right it's not just the problem that you're having it's everything else in your life suffers as well because your 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 thinking is all tied up and you are interbulated you're yeah. you're, you're not able to come out of that space until you figure out what the problem was and you yeah. guys pointed something out to me that i hadn't i had realized before but i'd never known why whenever you're reading like a technical manual and you're, you're, you, you keep like, you get distracted and you come back and you reread the sentence and you get distracted and you come back and reread the sentence. What's really happened is somewhere in the last 10 words, there was a word you didn't truly understand the definition of and you glossed over it, but it was important yeah. to being able to hang on your framework, your mental framework, so that you can that's understand right. and accept the information that's being given to you by the book. And so yeah. that's a huge habit. I started just because of you guys. Whenever I read, if I get to a sentence, I find myself read that sentence, reading that sentence twice. I go back to the previous sentence and I look for any word I don't know specifically the whole definition. I pull out a dictionary, I look the word yeah. up because that is going to keep you from becoming dispersed or, or interbulated, right? Yeah. So yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about some other Silkenese terms because I, I, I'm fascinated well, by it because each one of them is a huge concept 
that it just kind of blossoms in your mind whenever you hear about it. So give, give me give Well, let's take what you just finished saying, because I think that's uh, when doctors or and, and I think over the last 10 years, it's, there's been um, uh, a change that's occurred. And hopefully with us, because we were the first ones really and, and brought up metrics. We were the first ones that talked about nomenclature going back 30, 35 years. Right. When you're speaking to a patient, you keep the nomenclature so clean that a sixth grader can understand it. And, you know, even when, when somebody says, you know, I, I'm going to need a root canal, you know, or I'm going to need, a, you know, whatever it may be, really define it for a person so they understand it. Otherwise, they, you know, they do get confused. That's been shown. It, it's now a scientific fact, you know, Absolutely. before, you know. So that's one of the, uh, that's one of the concepts. Uh, uh, everybody in the practice does not use words that a sixth grader wouldn't understand. And I don't care if the person's got a Harvard degree, uh, because when it comes to medicine, the only person who really understands it is the doctor at that point in time. And unfortunately, they know they know way too much. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and that's one of those things. And um, that, that's why I'm kind of prodding you with some of these questions, because in a very sure. real way, you are in that same position. Because as a, as a, as a doctor, I forget about the 10 years of school I had to have to get to the point where I have the understanding plus my 10 years of practice, you know, to get to the point where I have the understanding of what specifically something means and it becomes second nature to me. What you forget right. is all the rungs on that ladder that allowed you to have that view that you've, you, you've climbed up this ladder over the years. You forget all, you forget the first rung. Well, your patient doesn't know what a bacteria really is. You yep. know, <laughs> that's one, right. <laughs> one of the things that I say, and you know, it always gets a laugh out of the patients and, um, People are always horrified. Other doctors are always horrified when I tell them some of the things I say to my patients. But I'll, I'll tell them something to the effect of, um, you know, Bob, do you remember when we were kids? They had this book, and it was called Everybody Poos. Well, bacteria are kind of little bitty microscopic bugs in your mouth, and they poo all over the place. And they're pooing all over your teeth. And when they poo on your teeth, it dissolves your teeth, and that's how you get cavities. And Bob's going... Well, that's disgusting, but I get it, right? <laughs> so the language is chosen, and this is something else yeah. I learned from Silken. The language is chosen specifically to elicit a very specific emotional response and to cause ownership of the problem to happen in the patient's mind. Right. These bugs in my mouth are pooping on my teeth, and that's why I have cavities. Right. It's amazing what kind yeah. of case acceptance you can get when you use language like that and you use it specifically and intentionally because as the old saying goes, the, the most intentional always wins. Right, <laughs> yep, that is, yeah. And, and you do that with your staff, you know, even your staff, honestly, even staff you think have been around, you know, they've been around, they know you, they know what you're doing. If you were just to ask them, what are some of the clinical actions that you were doing? And, and that includes front desk tech, uh, you know, your tech people. Yeah, they, you know, maybe they've, they've gone up the training thing, but the people in the front, they don't necessarily 
know everything, you know, and they right. become more part of a group and they understand what, what that group is all about. Um, what, one of the things that I think is really key, uh, you know, for the doctors and business uh, people, and I use the term, you know, the doctor you mentioned, well, they spent 10 years becoming. Because you have to have that discussion right now. Okay, so as a practice owner, you wear yeah. two hats. One hat says you I'm wear a doctor. Well, yeah, yep. executive hat too, yeah. So talk to us about that. So yeah. I go into the There's, practice Monday morning. You know, I'm, I'm having a problem because Susie didn't show up for her, for her appointment. I'm currently wearing the doctor hat. Should I be making business decisions while I'm, making, while I'm wearing the doctor hat? So explain yeah, hats to us and explain why not. They're told there's three different hats and they're very key. And when I go over systems, the first system, which was a lost, I, I, I really believe, believe me, I spent a long time. I, I, I taught at uh, uh, people who were getting their MBAs. And uh, one of the things I learned a little bit more about was the research. Because with Google, I was kind of like, okay, there's all kinds of this research out there. So I started researching, but nobody had certain data that was really important for practices. And one of them was, it's very unique in the medical field that you have a doctor who's also an executive and also an owner. So this is very unique. You know, a lot of businesses, you'll have an owner who maybe is, you know, they're doing retail or they're, you know, they're, it's, it's amazing that you can do as well as you do with the, all the <coughs> actions that are coming at you constantly. So like you say, you walk in the door, you're the doctor. Now you, you know, you know, your, your book is empty. I'm being a little facetious. Right. So somebody better get on it. Now, who's going to get on it? Well, it, you know, all of a sudden you go, well, we got to fill it. You're becoming the executive now. Right. And then all of a sudden you're doing that. Well, if you have a good office manager, you got somebody who's going to take care of it for you. That person is going to be stepping in and that person is going to be doing it. So you don't have to do that. But then there's the other part. Who's working with the office manager? Who's helping the office manager? Some There's a rare breed, and I use the word rare breed, that can wear all three hats without dropping dead from a heart attack. <laughs> I find that most people can wear two. That two, absolutely. I, I totally agree they can wear two. And if they have a good, one of the first things, uh, you know, I'll be, uh, uh, I push it all the time, get an office manager. Get an office manager. Get an office manager. Um, and the reason for that is so the doctor doesn't have to be the office manager and deal with all the personnel. The problem with that is, is now somebody, the office manager needs somebody, which means the owner, which is typically the doctor, unless the doctor sold out somewhere, is going to have to wear that hat. So the office manager needs to turn to somebody. And that means the office manager, the owner is going to be that person they're going to turn to. And if the, uh, and the, and where the owner of the business, who is the entrepreneur, the true entrepreneur here is the owner of the business. You know, we've had clients who have sold 10, 20, 20 was the top end practices. They roll them through and sold them to their associate. Um, they were being an owner. The key to that person, the particular doctor, he had a great office manager that ran the place and he could be the doctor and be the owner. But that 
office manager needed somebody to talk to. Otherwise, what happens to the owner? They go back on their heels. God help me if if my office manager leaves, I'm dead. At, right. You know what? I, I call that being held hostage. Um, exactly. It's blackmail. I, and unintentionally or intentionally, uh, to the degree that the owner, the, entre the true entrepreneur of the activity, can say, okay, I know what that office manager does. I can watch the statistics of that office manager. And there's other hats, you know, the owner has to deal with the attorneys and the CPAs and all that kind of stuff. Office managers typically don't deal with that. And that's part of the owner hat, but at least in relationship to it, the owner has to be enough of an executive to be somebody who gets that person to get something done. Now, you were talking about words. Most people don't know what the word executive means. It means to execute. And the word by itself and the terminology indicates you get a result. So you're going to execute something for a result. So as an executive, if you're an owner, you got the office manager, you expect that that office manager is going to be an executive and they will get results. How do you know that? What you went back to early. We have metrics, we have stats, we have something we can use conditions. That I, I think that um, every, everyone should know. A metric is anything that can be measured. And That's every right. single task, no matter how minute, has a metric. You it just could, yeah, absolutely. What that metric is. Yes. Now, they're yeah. not and if you important. Want to to, to look at. Right. There's only like yeah. I said, four or five metrics that are really important to look at in a practice. But when you start digging down, let's say your new patient numbers are suffering. Well, you start right. looking for the reasons because the whole point of finding out that the new patient numbers are suffering is to fix it. So you right. <laughs> Well said. So you say, okay, well, what's going on? Our phones were out for three days, okay? So three days, we usually get X number of patients per week that are new patients. How many are we sharp by? Does that percentage of those days out account for this? That may be the right. reason. Um, right. Did the doctor go off to CE? The doctor was away at CE for five days. Did right. that account for the number of patients that we didn't see? And mathematically, you're gonna be able to track it down if you just logically right. look at things. And that is why those sub-statistics are very important because Absolutely. You, they allow you to drill down deeper into the problem and figure out what the actual issue is so you can fix it. Because that's the whole point of keeping metrics is to be able to actually create the environment you're in rather than reacting to it. That's right. That is. That is. And the sub sub statistics are really key because if you if you're looking at your top, let's say top five uh, metrics you're looking at, you don't have to be looking at all of them all the time. I mean, it, you look at them, but if one's going down or one goes straight up, as an example, you go, "Wow, that went straight up. How come that went straight down?" And I don't go into the, "Oh yeah," and you already know the answer. No check out your sub statistics and find out for sure. We don't need guessing or I knows. Let's, let's get the science to it, you know? That's a, a beautiful answer, Fred, because I said earlier, you wanna track it down so you can find the reasons so you can fix it. Well, what Fred just brought up there is 
super important. It's not just finding the reason to fix it. It's also finding the reason that caused it so you can repeat the reason so you can That's right. cause it. That's you know, right. So let's say you made a Facebook post, okay? And you got um, five new patients from that Facebook post. Well, doctor, perhaps every week you should make a Facebook post in the same vein. And uh -huh. if it no longer works, one of two things happened. A, you've changed something about the way that you did it, or B, you were wrong. Right. So you need to go back and relook at your statistics and see exactly right. where that issue was. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and, and it's, it's right there in front of you. Once you build the dashboard, the proper one, um, some of the times what happens is people will have their dashboards, they'll have their information, but it won't be it won't identify what the the substatistics really should be, or or they're misidentifying them. So it's that's the key. It's it's a lot of the thought process has to go in. Do you have the correct ones in place for your practice, and do they drill down enough so you you have accountabilities all the way through, which is key. Absolutely. So Fred, let's talk about some very specific things now. Uh, we've talked okay. about metrics, we've talked about how we monitor them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm gonna ask you to explain the metrics in a dental practice that you recommend people follow and why. And then I'm gonna ask you to give them, because anytime I bring somebody on, I want them to, to do a big give where they teach somebody something that they can walk out tomorrow and use, and it makes their life better. Okay, good. So I want you to explain the statistics you recommend usually, and I know it's 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 very it's very customized to each practice, but there's some some commonality there. So, which statistics do you always recommend people follow, and what do the slopes of those graphs look like, and what are the proper behaviors for those slopes? Because right there, you've just given somebody a a fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> Right. right. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're looking for the condensed uh, version of the uh, exactly. Oxford English Dictionary. Exactly. You know, know. Well, <laughs> let me put it down. <laughs> uh, but feel free to ask me any questions while I'm explaining okay, absolutely, it. Absolutely. Because I'm, I'm going to be listening right. as if I don't know this stuff. <laughs> so there are certain metrics that are very important in regards to um, each system that I'm talking about. The owner system, a very specific, important metric that is the value of your practice. What is the current value of your practice today? Now, why is that important? Because here's your value here, and you're planning on transitioning in five and 10 years out. Now, if you're going to use the value of your practice as part of your uh, asset at the end, where do you want it to be? So let's say, for instance, right now it's worth $1 million. Forget all the corporate buyouts that are going on, which I know will continue, but that's part of it too. Where will it be in five years or 10 years? And if it's going to be there, how are you going to get it there? Some people don't even think about how I'm going to get here. They have to have a baseline to even start. So as an owner, having that baseline is very key. The other one that for an owner, I'm going, I'm going to go through each one of them. As an owner, that's very key is how much money do you have in reserves to be able to deal 
with a downturn. Or you can then at the end just take that money and do whatever you want with. But you got to have a certain amount in reserves for yourself. Um, that's a statistic. Both of these are metrics that you can look at and it's very easy to look at. Those are longer term metrics that go out and you can watch them quarterly, you can watch them yearly. A shorter term metric, yeah, go ahead. I have a question I want you to address before we go any further. Um, yeah. Whenever you're talking about practice valuation, I feel that the most fair practice valuation is an EBITDA and most dentists don't understand anything about that. Um, what do you guys recommend that a dentist uses to determine valuation of their practice? What we tell them to do is get a professional person who evaluates practices because that's not what we do. Right. What we do is go because, you know, there's four different ways to value. I mean, I know about valuating a practice. I know there are different methodologies. Things got turned upside down in the last few years with corporates right. coming in. So it goes back to what do you want to do? You want to sell it to an associate. And there's a lot of different formulas that go with it. So I just go, we're not in that business. Find somebody you trust. Talk to Dr. Chris, you know, in regards to who he trusts and all that and make it so you can get that baseline uh, and then you can just start discussing what's real out there because in the end, in the end, it's what people will pay for. Right. You know, uh, that's the, you know, uh, it, it, you know, I've seen people pay multiples on, on EBITDA uh, earnings before interest tax taxes and amortization. I've seen them pay eight, 10, 20 times on that right. others on growth. So uh, to answer that, that's my answer to it. So uh, <laughs> I would say, guys, if you want to start doing this tomorrow, here's what you do. Yes. You take your net. Um, right. We're not going to get into what addbacks are. We're not going to get into a couple other things that go into the valuation, but you take your net, multiply it times five. That's okay. And then track it. Good. So here's the deal. When you're tracking these numbers, it is more important to be consistent than to be. Right. Accurate. Right. That's just right. track it the same way every single time. And as long as you're That's doing right. that, even though this is a very simplified way of, of, of determining the value of your practice, as long yeah. as you're doing that every single time, then that number will stay true to whatever the That's term right. is in the practice. Yeah, that's right. As, as long as the numbers have a logic base to them, and you can, like you just said, 5x, you know, times your net. I mean, I can get into, oh, well, what do you mean by net? And, right. you know, what's a doctor that's, that's taking? That's I said. We're not going to talk about ad backs or anything like that. Right. None of that stuff. We'll just take that and then we'll go five. Is it increasing or isn't it? If it's not, you know, we got, I like net. My Personally, I like net. Um, I like net with the doctor's pay in there. And the reason is, is because it tells you what you're getting now, you know, what you're going to need and what somebody's going to be looking at. But that's, a, that's you know, we're, we're more on a similar uh, vein together, but we'll leave it to, we'll leave it to the experts, quote unquote, right? Absolutely. So <laughs> okay. you, were, you were about to give some short term things that they could Yeah. Do. So then you get a real short term one, which is your cash bills. You know, uh, it's how much cash do you have in the bank right now? Not your reserves. That's a different thing. How much cash do you have right in the bank? First of the month, you know, I got 50000 or I got 80000 How many in bills, how much in bills do you have for that month? And if you look at it and you go, you know, and you should be able, that graph, cash 
to Bills shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't right. be under. It should be this. Now I have to say, when you guys first started helping me, my, that's exactly what my cash to Bills looked like, if you recall. Yeah. It was it was all crosswise. It was it was a very yeah. bad. If people can play that, there's all kinds of games, and I understand. I've been doing this for almost 40 years. There's games where, yeah, I got cash, but I don't, you know, and I got bills, but I really don't have these bills, and they reasonable. Or, I, you know, I've got this cash, which is, you know, my credit card, you know, or whatever. Or, I've, you know, I've got cash coming in or, or whatever it may be. You know, it's what do you got in the bank? It's hardcore. It's real hardcore, and, and you know. It should be viewed in the same light as a diagnosis, guys. Um, and this is one of the things that, that Silicon teaches that I love. When you're looking at your practice numbers, what you're really looking at is the same thing as you're looking at in a patient's mouth. You are looking That's right. as to what's going on so you can make a proper diagnosis. And ignoring right. anything that you just don't like the way it looks, it's not a real good right. way to get at a proper diagnosis. <laughs> right. Which actually, uh, you actually jumped jumped to treatment plan presentation. Oh, but I'll, I'll no. I mean that that is exactly. But the other one that is really important is the fact that you've got an office manager. That office manager is running your practice. What statistics are you going to use? on your office manager, because you don't want to be running the practice. You want the office manager or the practice manager running the practice. And if like, we've got some clients who have um, five or six practices, you know, um, or they have a huge practice. We have, you know, one does $10 million and they've got, you know, uh, independent and they have, uh, uh, and they're all in-house and they have, you know, like six doctors or whatever it may be and all these, all these staff but they've got a, a basically a CEO who's running it. If you're the doctor who's working it and you love doing it, because we have doctors who love, I mean, you know, you go to school, you love being a doctor. You know, um, most people don't go to, to school just to be a business person. Most of them end up, they, they've got to become a business person or they're going to die if they don't become. And then some people, you know, go, wow. I'm good at being a business person, you know, I'm going to be a business person now. And they take, you know, then they work maybe a little bit at what they're doing. So you've got to have a statistic that will monitor your ops manager. So, you know, you keep it simple It's it's production and collections, as an example, you know, how's, and as long as that's going up, then you're happy as long as, you know, you can have a couple more in there. You could, you know, you could have uh, uh, quality control ones, you know, making sure your your uh, patients are doing well. Uh, they're happy because if you have unhappy ones, then, you know, you got problems. Uh, so, but you keep a couple of them, two or three of them. So the you're, you're running the practice with the ops manager and then the ops manager is running the business for you. Uh, and you can look at the the breakdown for the uh, office manager can be all the different ones that deal with personnel, that deal with uh, income, that deal with marketing, that deal with sales, that deal with quality control. Those things can be looked at um, if the production and collections is starting to flatten or go slow down. You can immediately go to the office manager's statistics, what they're doing, and then you can monitor that. 
and you have a meeting, you know, whether it's once a week or once a month to have those discussions. The biggest part of the meeting is making sure the person is uh, doing well and they're on, they're purposeful in their activity. They're excited still about it. They want to do it. They're, they're into it. And uh, because remember, uh, you're the, you know, as the owner, you're the only person that they can really talk to. They can't really talk to anybody else. If they start talking to everybody else, then that can be a problem. Well, that so would, anyway, that would, that would be another Silkenese term, nattering. That's right. Yeah, that goes into the personnel <laughs> activity, you know. So, um, so the so you've got your owner, and those particular statistics aren't very many, but very um, important ones to look at. Um, you've got. I want to go to sales for a second because that's kind of a bad word for people. Oh, it's not. Sales uh, makes me happy. What are you talking about? Yeah, I know. Well, people are doing well. They're happy about sales because exactly. they know it's an important part. And at one time, we almost got rid of the word sales because it got such a negative connotation. And then we went, no, let's take this thing on and, and be honest and straight about it. Sale, all sales are is you're enlightening your patient for what they should be doing that will be best medicine for them. It's not about you. You don't do it with your pocketbook. You just tell them the truth. You be honest with it. You you know you do a proper diagnosis with them. And then when it comes to the money part, you can either if if you don't have a treatment plan uh, coordinator, then um, then you do it yourself. But you gotta you know you flip it over to somebody going. That's the money. Have them take care of it. You know, yeah. we'll figure it out. We'll work if, it out. And if you don't know if you're good at sales or not, take a look at the total amount of treatment plan treatment in your books yep. and the total yep. amount of unscheduled treatment in your books. There you go. And there you, you go. Divide the unscheduled treatment in, uh, by the yep. treatment plan treatment, and that's going to give you your percentage of case acceptance. So that's right. If you do that and it's under. 50%, you've got a real problem. Yeah, we like to see it at 80. I, I know, <laughs> I, you know what I see generally across the board in, in, okay, so you know I have this big group and I've got like 23,000 dentists that follow me here. And what I see whenever I look into people's financials, when I look into their, into their patient records, trying to help them is I'll see 15 to 20% acceptance. What do you guys see on average? <laughs> oh, that's about it. You know, I mean, it, it rolls up to, you know, if somebody thinks they're pretty good, it goes up to 30. <laughs> but there's another problem that goes with this. I'm sure you know. It's what a doctor can do is start kidding themselves. You know, they'll look in the mouth and then they'll go, oh, I'm only going to, you know, I'm only going to present one or two or three things because I don't want to overwhelm them with what it is versus just giving it is. And, and then you can always tell them you don't need to do all of it right away. But here's the truth. Here's what you need. And when that care factor comes out and they understand that, then you work it out and then you get them scheduled Then you keep them moving along on it. And like you said, that's, you know, it, it gives you the data you need, uh, you know, and it's, and it's killing a lot of people, which is really sad because they're overworking themselves. Absolutely. So now we're, we're talking about sales. Um, one of the things yeah. that I, I believe I learned from you guys, I, I've taken, you, you know, I've taken so many different consulting <laughs> things over the past just because I wanted to learn everything. And yeah. um, one of the things I believe it was you who taught me 
was that there are three different types of sale. There's a yeah. soft sell, a hard sell, and a kill sale. And so yeah. when we crush sale, crush sale, yeah. crush I, sale. I actually, yeah. in my practice, I use the words kill sale. So right. <laughs> copyrighted kill sale. So <laughs> the, the thing is, is, there are different mentalities in the way that you sell to people, but there are only certain realities. Unfortunately, right. many of us are of the mentality that if we go and you need a crown, I'm trying to take number two. <laughs> that patient is not going to get that crown. And if you can't sell the dentistry that your patient needs right. and wants to them, right. then you are no good. You are of no worldly good. All the skills in your hands, the skills in your brain, none of it yeah. means anything unless you can present it to a person who needs it and they accept treatment and they pay you. That's right because right. your efforts are worth money. Right, absolutely. And, and you said it about as clear as a person could say it because we have seen over the years, without a doubt, there have been people who are technically brilliant technicians, but they were not making even close to the amount of money they should have been making, primarily because of what you just finished saying. And then they would kind of pawn it off to somebody else, but then, when they pawned it off, the problem with that was it doesn't mean that the doctor has to be the salesperson, but when they pawn it off out of fear, you're talking about emotion. When they do it out of fear, it's not logical because it's, it's you know, what is it that you need as the patient that is correct and take away all the negative emotions, you know, out of it, you know, it, it's just so important. And, uh, and then what happens is you get, you know, you make a hell of a lot more money. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and you do more worldly good too. So, um, you know, there's an old phrase I love. Um, it is doing well by doing good. Good. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a great one. Real quick. Let's cover what is a soft sell? What is a hard sell? And what is a crush sell? Okay, you just did kind of the soft sell. I just right. kind of mumbling, uh, you know, well, you know, this would be good to do uh, to get a chance sometime, uh, you know, come back when you get a moment. I mean, that is about as wimpy as you can get. And there's different levels. I mean, everybody knows when they wimp out. Uh, hard sell is when you're like, you believe in what you're doing. You want the person to do it. You care for them. You actually, it. you can tell the difference between, um soft and hard and crush and i believe it sits right in this one piece where you actually care for the person and about their well-being what you just finished saying you know it's like you care about their well-being you want them to have this because you believe in it. if you don't believe in it then don't do don't sell them that don't say that you know because that's always because we can't monitor that uh you know we we Tell people, we're not the doctor. You are. You need to know what is best for the person. So then what you do is you get them to understand that. You enlighten them. You, you bring up the understanding on it. Make it more real for them. Communicate to them. Use all the different tools you have. So that's the second one, which is um, hard sell. Right. And the third one is crush sell which is pathetically negative in my book, which is you just pressure the person and they're going to do 
your bidding. It's almost like a Darth Vader kind of a thing. That's a picture I get sometimes. It's it's like, you know, it's like the person is like, you know, just keeps bearing down on you, you know, just keep bearing you, you're just going like that kind of thing. And it, it's just demanding and demanding without caring and with any, anyway, it's, uh, you, you know it and you smell it and you see it when you feel it. I mean, there's no question about it. I, I kind of wish I had one of those little voice synthesizer things right now. <laughs> Luke, this is the crown you need and you will have it now, you know. <laughs> yeah, you will you will die next week right. if you don't. Yeah, I mean that's the differences. So and most of the time we we have to get a person mo is just to understand what heart, you know, just caring, more care. Understand because most doctors, well, I do care. Well, the, you know, I do care about it. Well, tell them that. <laughs> I mean, right. Why are you holding back? What's the holdback? Just tell them the and, truth, you know. And there's I think I think that there is um a confusion about what professionalism is. I find whenever I'm talking to doctors, and I'll be very honest, I teach people a lot of the stuff that you guys taught me when they come to me and they're like, what am I going to do? My practice is failing. Well, how are you talking to your patients? So one of the confusions I believe that most doctors have is they confuse professionalism and cordiality or congeniality. They they don't understand that they can be friendly and still be professional. Right. They, right. They, they try to wrap themselves in this professional dignity. And all it does is it puts another roadblock between you and the patient. When in reality, your job in selling that patient treatment, and I will use the word sell. People don't like it that I do, but I'll use it all the time because it's true, is you are supposed to remove all of those layers between you and the patient so that they have yes. the fewest hurdles to, to jump through. And that might be financing, it might be time constraints. There's a lot of different hurdles. Why would you ever set up another one right. between yourself and the patient and, and the treatment that they need and deserve? Yeah, and, and I love the way you just said that cordiality to professionalism because when you go uh, like going back to the owner system, the owners uh, are going to have to deal with attorneys, CPAs, uh, you know, uh, wealth managers, financial planners, and so forth. And one of the things I tell, I say, when you go to an attorney and you say, okay, this is the problem, what do I do? And the attorney says to you, well, I'm not sure, you know, let me, let me think about it or, you know, I mean, that you want somebody to say because they're the expert. The, the doctor is, when I go to the dentist or I go to any doctor, they're the expert. I, I, I still have to make up my own mind, but I, I expect them to tell me the truth and what's going on. And if they don't, I'm like, I, I got a mealy mouth here. What do I need him for or her for? So when I'm telling people about exactly what you're talking about, I use the words confident compassion. Oh yeah, yes because it's exactly what you want to exude. You yeah. want to let the patient know they have made the right decision, not only doing the treatment that you've proposed, but coming to you because you are the right person to work and help them. Right. Because you care. Yes. And if you can't do those three parts, you will never be successful yeah. selling dentistry. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, wow. I couldn't have said it better. 
Am I hired? <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. I wish I could, but I go, no, that's about as well as you could say it because it's, uh, that you know, uh, you know, it's so amazing because the doctor is an entrepreneur and it is, that's what's made America, America, our entrepreneurs. They, and, and sometimes I have to tell the doctor over and over, you're a business person who takes risks, financial risk. That's the definition of an entrepreneur. You can keep your head, stand, you know, you can stand proud okay. as an American. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because many people confuse risk and investment. A practice uh -huh. of risk, it's not an investment. It's not an investment until it's sold. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I actually just ran a, um, a poll in my group. And oh. Hundreds of people who responded. And I said, just food for thought. Why did you start your dental practice? A, yes. because you wanted to build a business that you could sell for a profit. Or B, because you couldn't work for someone else. And the funny thing is, is some of them admitted that they simply couldn't work for other people. But the majority right. of them would couch that same exact thing in saying something to the effect of, I wanted to practice the ethical care that I knew could be practiced if someone wasn't telling me what to do. So the thing <laughs> is that 90% of them are technicians and right. they, they think that they started their practice because it's the stories we tell ourselves, right? They think they started their practice for some, you know, altruistic reason. There really is no such thing as altruism. There's just facts. You know, I started this practice. It makes me feel good to practice this way. That's great. And I can't practice for someone else because I don't like to be told what to do. So I, I can't work for other people. So uh -huh. I also personally, me, I wanted to build a business that I could sell down the road for a profit. And so that mm -hmm. is why I sought out the help of people like Silken, because I wanted to build a business that was sellable. And I also couldn't <laughs> work for somebody else. <laughs> I, I think that we're not real honest with ourselves whenever we yeah. answer those questions, because we want the answer to our question to sound um, noble, but there's mm -hmm. nothing more noble than creating value. Right, and, and that's really what you're doing. Whenever you're you're making you're, you're creating a business, when you're growing a business, you're creating value, not just for yourself, but for your team members and for your patients as right. well. If you're practicing ethically, that's right. Yeah, you're creating value for the, right? the patient. I mean, the patient is getting value. If you can't give your patient value, you know, in in both the the, the technical expertise as well as the care factor, then you're not going to build a good business. You just won't. I mean. You know, that's how we've stayed in business that long, too. We believe in it. <laughs> believe in what you just well, you, said. You believe in an exchange in abundance, which is another that's set of right. terms. Okay, so we've we've talked about the owner, um, the owner section a lot. Um, we've talked a little right. bit about the executive section. Right. Um, let's talk about the um, let's talk about the doctor. Okay. So. Doctors is doctors. So talk to me about that. Well, the doctor is located in a particular area of the practice. Now, this is going to, you're talking about facts, and, and I don't mean to be harsh on doctors, but this is the truth. If you're an owner, 
you can hire a, a, a doctor. If you're a doctor, you don't hire an owner. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So all you got to do is kind of look at the two and kind of go, oh, okay, without the owner. Now, an owner needs doctors and needs good doctors. So if an owner, let's say yourself, you're going to hire a doctor while well, you're hiring yourself and you know how good or bad you are or you know how hopefully you know how well you're how kind of technician you are and, and and all that kind of stuff you don't have to have a lot of business acumen you need to have some business acumen you need to be able to do treatment plan presentations correctly as an example you need to give best medicines properly you know i mean those are key items you still all need to be able to interact with the patient really well because patients expect some sort of compassion and kindness and, and you know and and working with them and all that kind of stuff so those are skill sets that a doctor has to have as well as the skill sets of working with their direct assistance so when you're talking, you know, hygienists can be off to the side in certain ways. I mean, they interact, but it depends on how they're doing it. But the doctor is, you know, they're one-on-one -on -one with that patient and that patient looks up to them. They, I mean, I mean, not only literally, but figuratively, you know, they, they care about them. So, but they're not necessarily the, the doctor isn't necessarily the one who's overseeing the practice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, that's a different position. So when you ask that, I don't know if that's the what type of answer you wanted, but that's the type I just, you know, you'll have to dig around a little bit more if you want more from me. <laughs> no, it, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, what, what am I not asking that I should be? Wow. Um, I always get people with that question. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. What? Yeah, that's a good question. You, you know, it's funny because that's one of the questions we ask when we interview people. <laughs> it's like, why, why should have I asked you when I didn't ask? Because I could get the rest of it. Um, I think one of the, you know, you asked me that. Yeah, you, you asked me a lot. Um, what didn't I ask? Boy, the... Uh, I'm going to come up with one, which I think we played around with. I don't know if doctors realize, some do, and I, I know who they are. There's a certain percentage, how important they are to their community. Uh, they are, you know, they've done a lot of surveys and research. Doctors uh, are way up here in regards to the community and what how people think about them. Um, I've spent a lot of time in community service or I've spent a lot of, and not because I got any, uh, you know, I, I don't even use uh, the company name. So I'm not even talking about doing it from, from it's a good PR angle. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about doctors are typically have scientific method in their minds because they had to go through the science part. If they've got a practice, I wouldn't get involved in the community unless you've already done well in your practice <laughs> because, uh, you know, it, it gets difficult at times to do that because you should be focused. But when you get to that point, when you, you feel it, give. 
because people really want to hear from you. Just like what you're doing. I consider that giving. I do. I, I really do because you're helping the community and it's big. So I'm, I'm going to disagree with you, but I think you're going to end up agreeing with me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good, good works, well publicized. That's correct. One that's, of the things that's that I did that drove my success was every single year in October, we would start advertising. We are right. looking for one worthy person to change their life right. with dentistry. Send us their stories. You may not nominate yourself. You may not nominate your spouse. You can only do it to help a stranger or a friend. And we'd get all of these, these letters in and my team would go through them and whatever new technique or skill I was trying to highlight in my practice, I would narrow them down to that field. And then I'd give them to my team because I wanted my team to have buy-in to it. And I wanted them to have an emotional hook because I want them to feel this the same way that I do. I had them read through all of them and narrow them down to like two or three choices each from each of them. And then I read those and I proposed three people. And then my team picked the one that we're gonna do. And we would invite that person in. If they didn't come, we went down the list to the next person. But we would invite that person in and tell them that they had been entered into a contest to win a free dental exam. And they would come into the practice. I would treatment plan them, tell them everything they need. Generally, there are a lot of tears because these people needed a lot of work because somebody else, not a dentist, had noticed that they were having dental issues, which that takes a lot. And um, then I would walk in the room and I'd say, um, this is how much the, the treatment is, uh, is going to cost, um, but you actually are the winner of our Christmas miracle. And um, so the new price, and I'd write down a big zero, and giving them the original price was something that I learned strategically from, Stil from Silken. Because if you don't assign a value to something, then it has yep. value. So right. I would give them that piece of paper and I'd say, because our community here in Alvin voted for you, we are going to do this treatment completely free. All I ask is you do a couple of videos for us and allow us to document it so that we can show other people what we can do here. Got lots and lots of business from that because we would document wow. every single stage and we'd post it on Facebook. So, well, Fred, did I convince you? You convinced me. I, I actually just wrote it down, which I typically don't do much <laughs> writing down. And uh, yeah, it actually was very uh, had great emotional impact on me just now while you're while you're saying that because and it is uh, you do do good works well publicized. That is part of our th part of what we do, and we tell people like you're doing. Um, you took it over the top. There's no question about it. Well, There's I, absolutely you, no question. The reason I thought of that was whenever I met Dr. Sheridan. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. He, um, yeah. he inspired me. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Sheridan does all kinds of... And he's he's got a booming, booming practice. I mean, he just, you know, I mean, he's like... And, and that was part of the conversation is we're having is that when you give back, 
it makes a huge difference, not only to your community, but just sharing it with, with the other doctors, just what you just finished saying. If Absolutely. just one of the out of the 23,000 or one person does that, what a great impact. I mean, what a wonderful impact. And, and, and honestly, the impact on the doctor is immense as well. Being a doctor, oh, yeah. being a practice owner can be a very hard thing sometimes. And a lot of times there's a lot of emotional turmoil that goes into it, whether it be from team issues or um, second guessing ourselves because we're all very type A. Um, and, right. and we always we always play, I, I like to say, we look at other people's highlight reels and we look at our, our blunder reels, you know? We always play back the things in our heads that we've messed up or that we could have done a better job at and we beat ourselves up. When you do something like this, there is just a, a light that shines in you and reminds you why you love what you do. Right. And what kind of yeah. a gift your hands and your brain can give to someone else. And, and that you're doing it on a daily. On a, on a daily. It's, it's not like this one thing, this one, one time a year that you're giving is the special thing. It's just a celebration of what you're able to do for your patients and your community every single day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll interview next year. I'll interview you instead of you me. <laughs> this well, is great. Honestly, you, it's great. You make a, you make a, a great interviewee uh, for, for several reasons. First of all, you're, you're, you're just a, a great person. I, I really believe in what you guys do and it's helped me a lot. But um, also I, because I think I've gotten, I, I've, I've gotten a, um, an insight into the way that you think and the way that you do things simply because of our interactions over the years and the things that I've seen you do and not just say. So right. well, I'm, I'm really you. glad you could join us here today. Is there anything else that we should cover before we go? No. Uh, you know, I, as I mentioned, if, if a person, if a doctor just looks at there's six systems and they think with that. The metrics, those are underneath. That's that's what gets you to watch something. But if they if they as they're learning life if, as a doctor, as an owner, you know, think in terms that you got an owner system. That's a whole hat within itself. You know, the doctor system, you've got it. I mean, you're you're already dealing with it all the time. I don't even have it in there now because it is what you do and it's yours. But you got an executive, you know, you got a sales system. You got a finance system. Really keep your your mind onto that particular aspect. You got marketing and you got public relations. So really keep when you're looking at your practice, which ones are weak, which ones are strong, and and just keep pushing forward like you do. You know, just keep pushing forward and 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 you know go forward into their community. You know, do well. <laughs> so before before I get you to do what I like to call station identification, which is reminding people who you are and how they can get in touch with you. I'm gonna challenge our listeners out there to do one thing. Guys, you just heard Fred talk about the different systems that you need to have in place in your practice if you want to be successful. My challenge for you is to take a blank sheet of paper, draw a square at the top, and say owner. And then I want you to write your name next to owner. Then I want you to put dentist. And next to dentist, if you have dentists in your practice that are not you, I want you to actually do that multiple times, once for each one, write their name next to it. Then I want you to put down marketing, and I want you to write down whoever's name that is. 
if you at the end of the day have only one name, yours, next to all those duties, <laughs> you definitely need to change something in the way that you're running your practice because that is square one telling you that you're not being as efficient with your time or your skills as you could be. Fred, would you agree with that? I totally agree with it. That's that's how you can analyze your own. Uh, and also you can do it, not only your name, but the emotion that it brings up. If you look at it and go, owner, I, like I don't that. know what that is. You say executive, oh gosh. You go personnel, headache, you know, anything like that. Finance, I wish I had more. Uh, right. Marketing, <laughs> got no idea. Public relations, I think I'm okay. Any of those become questionable for yourself and your ability to deal with it, then you can nail it right that way too. <laughs> so is, is that emotional thing, um, one of the things you guys teach with Silken or not? Because I'm gonna steal that. I just wanna make sure it's not Silken. <laughs> hey, listen, brilliant. I love it. it. Yeah, if I, I, I do it when I we'll get, we'll get an owner's conference and I'll, I'll walk around and I'll go, you having problems? No, I feel great. I go, good, take a look. Let's walk through this. By the time they're going, we've got one circled because it, it is like, you know, there's, there's something the there. That's, that's, they, that's absolutely right. Yeah, they got a, they got a, a situation there. Like you said at the beginning, it's, it's a think logically, but we all deal emotionally to a certain right. degree, you know, and personnel, as an example, can hit people the hardest. And, you know, and, and they just kind of like, and, you know, I, I was going to pull up something here if I could. I don't know if I have it. Um, but it, it's a um, <laughs> uh, you, you realize we could probably we could probably fill another four of these hour segments. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even just thinking communications and tonal scale is. is I mean, oh yeah, that's, that's two hours by itself. Yeah, the the tone scale, as you probably know, the emotional tone scale of an individual is is so key. When when COVID hit, one of the things I gave I did six videos. It was an outflow. It was promotion for ourselves because I saw it flatten. I go, good. What what can we do to help our clientele right now? And the, you know, when I did, I said, I know you're getting hit hard right now. I got it. So the first thing is, remember when you went through the emotional tone scale? Are you down here in apathy? Are you pissed off? Or are you trying to outthink this thing right now? If you're trying to outthink it, good. You're you're at the right level. And if you're not. You're uh, in deep doo doo. You, know, <laughs> you can quote it, me on that things, one. One of the things that I always find funny whenever you go to a consultant, um, and it, it's do they drink their own Kool Aid? And that's one of my favorite things about Silicon is that you guys <laughs> use the same techniques that you teach. It was it was really kind of funny. I actually had a conversation. I don't be, I don't believe it was Alan Jackson. I'm trying to remember which one of the consultants I was talking to, and he said something, and I looked at him and said, "Dude, you know you can't Silicon me. I know those techniques." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he was offended or if he was proud. You know, <laughs> yeah. he, he, he was probably really proud, actually, because one of the key things is that the uh, uh, if, if you understand, if you have the knowledge of something, you won't be the adverse effect to it. You know, you won't. It, it won't. You know, and if you understand, if you know when somebody's lying to you you can tell there's there's things that can tell and you'll spot it and that will protect you if and, and sometimes the biggest liars look like the you know the the biggest straight people you can see but there's always an undercurrent you know so 
uh, you know, I, I took. I think he would take it as a big compliment. Actually, <laughs> I, <laughs> he was happy. I actually, I took something that I learned from you guys very much to heart. Be it cause in your environment. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. I, 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 I say that over and over to not only clients to my own staff you know either your cause or your effect which one are you going to be you know are you going to be you know proactive or reactive are you going to be the person who's going to make the decisions for solutions or are you going to be the problem to the solution you know are you going to be the problem if you're not part of the solution is the saying going you're part of the problem you know it it, it you just keep moving you know in, in, in that chemistry, direction we always said if you're not part of the solution then you're precipitate <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and what you do, you know, you're a catalyst. I mean, yes, you, you form education, you know, uh, but you cattle, you know, you're, you're getting people to think. Uh, and, and, and one of our most basic things is if it's not true for you, it's not true. So, you know, you make it your own. You test it out. You see if it works. If it works, then good. And if it doesn't had, work, then okay, you know. I had the most humorous humorous um, complaint about me one day. Um, someone said something about hearing something from me, and the uh, this person just doesn't like me. And they said, um, oh, you <laughs> that, mean that, that happens, guy? Right. Hey, if you are measured in this life by the quality of the enemies that you acquire. Oh, yeah. So I, um, I asked him, I, I, I said something, and the guy said, oh, you mean that guy who owns the business group who doesn't even own his own practice anymore, which isn't true, because I still own 30% of both of my practices. And uh, I just kind of <laughs> responded with, yeah, because I'm the guy who knew the system so that I could get there. You're right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, my friend. Oh, so, Fred, tell me real quick, um, how can people get in touch with you and, um, and, 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 and hire Silken on to help them out? Or, or at the very least, uh, find out if you guys might be a good fit. Yeah, the big thing we do, which I highly recommend, is um, we do something nobody else does. Honestly, I haven't seen any. I have, uh, Al, you mentioned Alan Jackson. I have, uh, he's our- Not the um, singer. With our top, pardon me? Not the singer. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, he gets that a lot too. But um, <laughs> here, let me give you our number. He, he uh, was for probably 20 years our top consultant. And then I decided about, I don't know, it's been 15, almost 20 years now, um, to put him as an analyst. And what he does is he analyzes practices. He does. That's what he does day in and day out. And he spends probably, my average is five to six hours. And it's not a BS type of uh, analysis either. I mean, it's in depth. This is how we prove ourselves. Uh, you know, we have testimonials from thousands of people that we can prove ourselves. But what we do is we analyze the practice, go through it with them, what they're able to control what they don't control what they need help on it's intent it goes right through it at the end we go this is what we can do for you if you don't want to it's up to you but here is what we can do for you so we've been doing this for uh 15 i think about 15 years now uh and it's worked really well because what's happened is people kick the tires big time 
Um, and, you know, and we put our, our mouth uh, where our money is. So um, it's, it's notable, I think, to tell everyone that um, all modern business management, and I may be misspeaking here, so please do correct me. All modern uh-huh. business management techniques stem directly from the Hubbard management system, which is I wouldn't still can. Yeah. Is oh, you mean ours? No, no, all, 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 um, all modern management, management by statistics, you know, things like yeah, that. A, it all stems. Yeah, from a lot of them. I'd say a tremendous amount of them uh, have come out of that system. There's, um, uh, I've studied other ones, but he, I mean, I, he was doing stuff 50 years ago that was way ahead of right. anybody else. I mean, way ahead of people. So you know, I don't know if I'd say all, but I'd say pretty a lot pretty let's put it close. that way like, yeah like i said i i taught i taught mbas uh at the university level and um a, a lot of the professors would be going whoa that's really good <laughs> wow that's right. great you know when i was teaching so uh yeah so Fred, it, I, give us, i'd say give us that number where they can they can call and get the analyst to take a look at their practice okay good here i'm, I'm gonna I'm going to pull up the, I hadn't expected you to do this to me, so I think I'd. Uh, uh, You're as bad as me. It. I don't know my number when it, because I have my phone. I don't call myself. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, typically I, I carry a card. I'm, I'm working at home. And then, um, and then you, you know, we were talking about doing this. I, you're, you're actually more in depth than uh, I expected. You're, you're, uh, <laughs> you were not only a good student, but you were a, a, a you were, you applied, which is the one thing that we constantly tell people: you've got to apply the materials. We've got the materials. Implement. You've got to implement, and, it, and it's one of the one of the key key uh, key things for it. So here, let me. I've got it. It's here's how you can call us eight seven seven eight. Excuse me eight seven seven three eight six zero three eight eight and um you can ask for me uh ask for alan jackson i have about 30 people that work for me they'll they'll get you to me um or they'll get to alan and um we'll do anything we can to help so just give us a buzz well we also do if you have a question we we also do um um, a one hour thing where we just do nothing. Like if you need help in something, we'll do a free hour with you and just help you. Uh, and Ken Daroshi does that. He's been doing that for 25 years. You go, I got a problem here. You know, I heard that you give, you know, help on for an hour and then he'll set up the time for you and he'll help you. Marketing, sales, it makes no difference. So well, that's how we do it. We, know, we do it by I know showing. You guys, you guys used to be only in person. And so they had to go to Portland but I imagine that with yeah. COVID, you guys have changed some of that. And I know that about eight years ago, you were starting to do some digital online stuff. Um, yeah. Where are you now? Yeah. Well, what happened is eight or 10 years ago, we just we started this whole uh, virtual stuff. Uh, we were way ahead of most people. We would actually send out a TV uh, monitor to people so I we rem- could try it. I remember it. The, the, the logistics of that were a nightmare. 
Oh, it was unbelievable, but I really believed in it. So we started that whole process 10 years ago, but the technology wasn't up to it yet. You know, you, you know, Skype and Apple and all those weren't even close to it. So, but over time we kept building it. I thought that as uh, beginning of this, we were talking, I thought there was going to be a recession coming in 2000. 20, 2019, excuse me, 2018. And the only reason I did it, you did it off of looking at Federal Reserve and uh, particular measures. I was doing it at it from, there's been a, a recession Historical. approximately every right. 10 years. Exactly. And I'm going, it's been going, we went through four of them. So I'm kind of going, duh, it's happening again. I was wrong. It did not happen in 2019, but we were ready for it because we were doing virtual by then. We had done hundreds of conferences virtual. We had been doing consulting virtual. We had been doing a bunch of stuff uh, by that time in 2018. So I, I took egg off my face when it didn't happen in 19, but it uh, but it hit on in 20 and we were ready. We were able to move from people coming to us into virtual world in two weeks full-time and we haven't looked back since people love it uh if they want to come they can still come we just opened up uh if people wanted to but otherwise we're not we're not getting rid of virtual and online stuff at all so that is what's happening so so i'll tell you i signed the papers to sell that first practice february 16th 2020. <laughs> I don't know if well, I can say anything about timing the market because I thought something different was going to happen, but boy, am I glad I picked up that Wall Street Journal. And you know my wife uh, very well. She, we, we had just had an argument over the kids, and I said, I'm just going to go to breakfast, and I'm going to come back later when I'm not mad. So I went to breakfast. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal was sitting there. I opened it right to this article. I read it, and I went, holy crap, there's going to be, there's going to be a huge recession. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, oh, well, that's, yeah. The that's, luck, of, uh, luck of the Irish, right? So, yeah. so Fred, give them that number one more time. 877-386-0388. Fantastic. Guys, you've wasted another hour listening to the sound of my voice. I hope that you've gotten some value from this. Again, this is Fred King from Silken, who's joined us today and uh, dropped a little bit of knowledge on you guys. Thank you, as always, for being a listener to the Dear Doc Podcast. Have a fantastic day. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms. <laughs>